0: Gaily bedight, a gallant knight, in sunshine and in shadow, had journeyed long... What's that all about? Just a poem, one of Johnny Diamond's favorites. Let's see. Gaily bedight, a gallant knight, in sunshine and in shadow, had journeyed long, singing a song, in search of El Dorado. out everyone. Pull up a chair, kick up your boots, take a sip on a nice cold drink. It's Elder Pado, Season 3 of Support Your Local Podcast, where we take a look at the 1966 John Wayne classic, El Dorado, one chapter at a time. I'm your host, as always, Robert Smith, coming to you from beautiful Tombstone. Yes, that one. Today we'll be taking a look at Chapter 4, Shooting Straight. We left off last chapter with the Duke and Mississippi parting ways. We start our chapter today with it being morning, and the Duke is atop his horse riding down a rocky hill. He rides down a bit, and when he finally gets to the camera, we see him seize up in pain as if he was shot with some invisible bullet. You know, Maybe uh, Joey McDonald has a, a, has a new a weapon of mass destruction that we don't know about. It, it knocks him off his mount, and the stuntman falls to the ground, and he rolls down until he hits the water. Looks like maybe a little stream or something through the rocks. Uh, Good thing it happened when it did, because if it had happened at the top of those rocks, you know, the stuntman would still be falling to this day. It was a a pretty steep, steep drop. The, The horse, ever a good boy, comes back down to where the Duke was replaced the stuntman, And he's trying to get back to his feet, and he has his right hand upturned across his chest with his arm bent. It looks almost like the guy from Scary Movie 2 telling people to grab hold of my strong arm, that guy. And we find out that the horse's name is Cochise, again, ever a good boy. As the Duke tells him, it's going to take a minute while rubbing his arm. There's a great look of panic on his face. Uh, You know, I talked earlier about John Wayne's facial acting, which I think is a little bit underrated. As he hears other hooves coming his way, we cut to see the feet of the horse approaching, and the Duke then scrambles as best he can under the shield of this rock jutting out and over him like an outcropping. And I don't know if this is the exact same location, but knowing that this was primarily shot like so many other Westerns in Tucson... I'm pretty sure I've seen that exact outcropping of rock in a hundred other movies. Um, first one that pops on my mind specifically was The Sackets. And I'm, I'm not sure where that one was shot, so maybe. Maybe that's the same place. <clears throat> he uses his left hand to reach around his back and pull his gun from his right-handed holster. You can see him struggling with it, so I, don't, I, I, I like that nice little bit of acting with it. The camera cuts back to the top of the rock formation where the Duke began this chapter. And if not the horse or the rider, we definitely recognize that hat coming our way. Mississippi hollers for Cole. Uh, He's looking for him and the Duke comes out from hiding under that rock. He warns Mississippi that he's close enough to have blown his brains out if he hadn't recognized that hat like he did. Uh, Once again, hate for the hat. When Cole asks, don't you know better than to follow a man that way? Uh, James Kahn smartly replies that he didn't know that there was another way. And there's a nice shot here when Mississippi hops off his horse and the Duke and he are standing next to each other. Now, the Duke only appears to be a few inches at most taller than James Con, And I always took James Con as a smaller guy. And the Duke as this larger-than-life figure. So I did a little bit of digging, and I found out that, in fact, uh, James Con did wear lifts in his boots to kind of match with the stature of his, his fellow cowboy uh, 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 actors here. And Mississippi asks if he fell off of his horse, and we get a great facial expression from Cole saying, Yes, I, I know that it's meant to come across as a don't-you-dare-make-fun-of-it-or-I'll-whoop-you. But when you see the look, it's more of some weird, bug-eyed, I'm, I'm not even sure what to call it. Uh, he then proceeds to tell Mississippi about the bullet in his back and that occasionally it presses against something that causes paralysis in his arm for a while. And Mississippi has a great look of concern for him. and I'm, I'm sure the pride of Cole doesn't, doesn't really allow for any mushy sympathy. So he continues to chastise Mississippi and asking why he's being followed by him. Mississippi correctly lays out the plot of the rest of the movie, telling Cole that he knows that he was heading to El Dorado to help his friend against McLeod in the gang. And when Cole asks how he knows JP is his friend, Mississippi replies that he saw the look on Cole's face when he found out he turned into a drunk. And at that word, Uh, Cole can't help but make that exact same face, so we know exactly what he was talking about. With the effects of the bullet wearing off, he surprisingly asked Mississippi to help him up onto his horse. And for someone who obviously has too much pride and machismo to have someone even fussing over his injury, and even go so far to be that bristly and embarrassment, and even talking about it, you'd think that if it was wearing off that he would just wait another few minutes until he'd be able to handle it himself. So was he more hurt than he let on? You know, did, did he have that much embarrassment about it that he just wanted to get the hell out of there? I mean, he has to realize that Mississippi's probably fool enough to continue to follow him. So that's not exactly his way of ditching him. Mississippi asks if JP is actually worth all that trouble and, uh, you know, worth all that trouble to go help him. And uh, the, the Duke, like, snaps back at him that, you know, you just spent two years tracking down and killing the people that murdered your best friend, Johnny Diamond. So I have to say this real quick. I'm pretty sure... With the exception of one scene I can think of, you know, we're running out of the times that Johnny Diamond is mentioned. And peek behind the, cor- uh, the curtain here. Every time I'm writing that name here in my show notes or script, whatever you want to call it, I have to physically stop myself from calling him Lester Diamond. It's it's the James Woods character from Casino, Martin Scorsese's Casino with, you know, Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci in them. And for whatever reason, every time I go to write Johnny Diamond, all that pops in my head is Joe Pesci saying, all that business with that, with that diamond, that, uh, that listed diamond. I don't know why. So if I mistakenly call Johnny Diamond Lester at some point in this movie, I'm sorry. I can't help it. I'll try to edit it if I catch it, Um, but it is just literally right there at the top of my head for whatever reason. Mississippi does help him up into the saddle, and it answers a question or a problem that I would have had, I I would have, um, should someone request it from me. So if somebody ever came up to me and said, hey, help me up in the saddle, I don't even know where to start putting my hands in order to, one, help someone the size of John Wayne up into a saddle, and two, not piss off someone the size of John Wayne by touching where it's not wanted. Just throwing that out there. They they start to ride off together back up the rocks, and the Duke is still holding his arm crooked across his stomach and chest. And I understand him doing it now, its you know effect of the paralysis. However, we saw him holding his arm sort of in the same way even early on in the movie before he was shot. Uh, when he was out to the, the ranch talking to um, Bart Jason, you see him holding the reins in his left hand and his right hand is just kind of already in that, that space. I, I'm not sure. We we cut to the two still riding together across the desert and we get a nice back and forth conversation as they're trotting along. Mississippi asks if McCloud is as good as he says he is and the Duke does admit that he doesn't know for a fact personally but he has heard as much and that he is hoping that McCloud is angry at being turned down because that anger may be the difference should they end up clashing. So the Duke is kind of like Emperor Palpatine question mark? You know, good, good let the anger flow through you. Sorry, got to Cole wants to know why Mississippi keeps poking his nose into this whole ordeal, and when Mississippi says he owes Cole for saving his life twice, instead of taking it to heart, the Duke reminds him that he'll be too busy to keep saving it. It's <laughs> nice little jab. And When James Conn asked Cole to teach him how to use a gun, he uses the excuse that Johnny Diamond told him to learn from the best, and that Cole is supposedly just that. So, you know, a little stroke of the ego. Cole then argues some more about whether or not Mississippi is coming to El Dorado, and I wonder, how is he realistically going to stop him? You know, it's a free country. Despite which side Cole fought for in the war, and he's obviously not cared enough in ditching him so far as they're riding even closer together than than before. And I get that he doesn't want him to get caught up in the inevitable fight that is going to happen in El Dorado. You know, what with the innocent life of McDonald, I assume, still weighing on, on, his, on his mind. But he doesn't strike me as the type to hit him over the head and leave him lying. Um... Mississippi burst into song or, or rather poem as he begins to quote the poem El Dorado, which you can hear a majority of throughout the movie. Uh, just a little history on, on the El Dorado poem. You know, we'll touch base on this uh, a few more times throughout the movie as he does this, but uh, did a little digging. And, and it is, in fact, a poem written by one Mr. Edgar Allan Poe, which I was not aware of. I knew that it became, you know, it was from an actual poem. I had no idea that Agron Poe, you know, the Raven and the Telltale Heart, that guy wrote the poem for uh, about El Dorado and that's featured in this movie. Not obviously years before, but um, in 1849, it was his reaction to the California gold rush that was occurring at the time out, out in California, you know, the 49ers. That's what that's from. And Uh, All but the second stanza is said at various points in our movie by Mississippi, but uh, the full version goes, Gaily bedight, a gallant knight, in sunshine and in shadow, had journey long, singing a song, in search of El Dorado. But he grew old, this knight so bold, and o'er his heart a shadow, fell as he found no spot of ground that looked like El Dorado. And as his strength failed him at length, he met a pilgrim shadow. Shadow, said he, where can it be, this land of El Dorado? Over the mountains of the moon, down the valley of the shadow, ride boldly, ride, the shade replied, if you seek for El Dorado. And even Mississippi's attempt to woo the Duke with poetry fails miserably as the Duke is stubbornly still not letting him in. When he finally gives up and, and begins to almost pout, the Duke finally softens a bit and he, he tells him to get down off his horse. And I wonder if at this moment, even a little bit of Mississippi's mind said, Oh shit, what did I do? What did I do? What did I do? I mean, This is admittedly a gunman. You know, he knows a little bit about his character as he's been saved by him. However, he has been a bit of a pest and he continues to frustrate him and poke him and prod him with his his verbal barbs. He's in the middle of the desert all alone with a legitimate killer. Just saying. And there's even a brief second when Khan snaps back, "Are you always barking orders when the, you know at, at people and it's when the Duke rides up to him and pulls his gun out. so if ever there was a no shit moment, that would probably be it, but alas, he is safe. It is John Wayne we're talking about he He tosses the gun to Mississippi and he says, "Well, you want to learn how to shoot and he tells Mississippi to aim and, and shoot at a cactus down the way. Mississippi slowly closes one eye to aim, and he stretches his arm out cautiously, to which the Duke says, What in the fuck? Well, not really, but I'm sure that's what he was thinking. He he chastises them that you have to just look and draw with a handgun, or the other guy's going to get you. So Colvin quickly shoots the cactus in demonstration, and you see a look of almost giddiness on Mississippi's face, and then he takes it. And says, "Okay, okay, let me try, let me try." This time he he draws it much faster, but he he ends up hitting a, a choya about five feet to the side of the cactus the Duke Duke shot. And little side note for me on on this part, when I heard the Duke say, "Did you mean to hit that choya?" I had to look it up. So apparently. It is the little skinny tube looking cacti that we have out here that has like all the little little tiny branches with all the, the massive amounts of pricklies, it almost looks like fuzz. You know, they're not the the wide spaced out pricklies. You know, I, I've always seen them, but I never knew what to call them. And looking it up, apparently they are the, the type of jumping jumping cacti. So be careful getting close to them. So it's you know, it's a good strategy by Mississippi to use a range weapon like a gun when, when attacking a Troya. When the Duke asked if that was what he was aiming at, Mississippi sheepishly says, you know, no, I was was aiming at the same spot you were. And it's a good thing they will be passing through Cuervo because, as the Duke says, because they can go see his old friend, the Swede, who apparently is a gunsmith. And I found this interesting. There's my catchphrase. Uh, As it means that, uh, you know, apparently Cole is willing to have Mississippi ride along for a little bit longer, at least. And I'm not sure if he meant Cuervo, Mexico or Cuervo, New Mexico, as I'm still a little bit fuzzy on where exactly the movie's taking place at any given time. We dissolve into Cole and Khan riding in a town and they dismount in front of a shop. An older gentleman with a Swedish sounding accent greets the Duke at the door. So, you know, this must be the Swede. And this gentleman is actually played by Oleg Winehorse, who, if you remember from previous episodes, specifically our first one, I mentioned to keep that name in mind. You know, this is the guy that painted the scenes in our opening credits. And, you know, not to go into full-blown, remember the name, you know, I'll skip at this episode, but he's, you know, he's only in a few movies throughout his career and it's mostly with John Wayne, but... um. I, I wanted to take a moment and just appreciate the the absolute beauty of those opening paintings once again. You know, it was it was his ability to capture the Old West so beautifully that actually led to him being inducted into the Western Hall of Fame. Um, but anyways, alas, uh, Swede Larson is introduced to Mississippi as someone who can't shoot worth a damn. Uh, or excuse me, Mississippi is introduced to Swede Larson, I should say, as someone who can't shoot worth a damn. I don't know how the Swede can shoot. We don't actually see him in action in this movie. But the the Swede says he has exactly what you want. And hearing him talk, (laughs) even as a kid, it sounded completely fake to me. And in looking at his background, he, he appears to be actually Danish, so maybe that is how he naturally talked. I, I'm not sure. I don't usually think of a Danish accent as being that over-the-top sounding of Swedish. I, I mean, this guy sounds like he would be the dad to Jamie Lee Curtis in the train scene of Trading Places, for Pete's sake. You know, like, New, no, I'm from Sweden, don't you new? Know? You know, like, it's, it's that on the nose. And... He hands the Duke what looks like a sawed-off shotgun. And, you know, it's, it's short enough to even fit in a hip holster, like a handgun. We see him actually taking it out of the holster as he hands it to him. And apparently it was made for a guy who couldn't see too good. You know, he couldn't see too good. And the guy would just shoot in the direction of whatever noise he was trying to hit. Which, again, how shoot-happy is this Western? question mark you know where a blind guy is just lobbing shotgun blast in the general direction of an annoyance i guarantee you if they saw that guy in a saloon getting ready to draw we would not have all those random people standing the fuck around everybody that's about to be shot one of my pet peeves see previous episodes guarantee that's not happening when that guy's around because they're just as easy you want to get shot as the, as the guy is supposed to anyways i digress So, you'd be rightful in thinking that maybe this gun is now here because the owner got into an argument with someone who could, I don't know, see his opponent, maybe? But, I promise you, the story is actually much, much better. And what I think is one of the top two funny moments in the movie. The Swede tells us that the vision-impaired gentleman got into an argument in a bar and he couldn't hear the other guy well enough to fire at the guy because the piano player was playing too loud. So instead, he just shut the piano player and they hung him. I shit you not. Awesome, awesome script writing. (laughs) Duke asks about ammunition, and the Swede plops down four boxes of shells. And then the Duke tells Mississippi to pay the man, not asking for a price or anything. And this always bugged me a little bit because Mississippi had, in our previous scene, opened up to the Duke that he had to sell Johnny Diamond's watch a ways back and hasn't made any mention of a job or how he's made a living these two years on his vengeance tour. You know, the Duke even paid for his supper. So taking him to this guy, getting a gun and bullets and just saying, hey, pay for this, it's a bit of a dick move. You know, I'm thinking back to the quick and the, and the dead where they go to the kid's shop and the cost of guns and all that stuff. So like, you know, if this guy doesn't have money, that's, that's an embarrassing situation to kind of put him in, you know, but, uh, alas, everything must've worked out because, you know, maybe, maybe he did some favors for the Swede. Who knows? But, uh, not going to ask questions. We, we dissolve to our pair riding once again, and the Duke points out a spot to give the gun a try. And Mississippi hops down, he points it at a cactus, he cocks the hammer back, and he's magically transported to a land where the Duke and his horse are being rear-projected behind a now-close-up James Con. Like, really? You know, seeing it through 2023 eyes, it looks bad and obvious, But I have to admit that, you know, maybe for a 1966 audience, I don't think the uncanny valley of that switch would be as noticeable. You know, I'm not sure if they did it because, you know, he would have been so close to the horses that it would have spooked him, Or maybe the one Con carries throughout the picture is just a stunt gun and they were firing the shot with a real one. Or maybe the shot didn't look as impressive out in the open and they wanted to capture the entire, you know, muzzle flash inside. I I, I really don't know, but, uh, for whatever reason, Mississippi fires and holy sound effect, Batman, uh, the, the loudness of the gun was enough to scare the shit out of my kid who was, (laughs) who, when I was sitting on the couch watching this, she was just sitting there reading her book. And I, I had the volume about a quarter to halfway because I knew that shooting was going to be happening soon and it still startled her. I mean, it is. It is right up there with the 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 shotgun revolver that uh, Terry Crews shoots in the Expendables. I mean, it's right up there. And, you know, seeing the shot again, I'm thinking that maybe the reason they did the rear projection thing is because that muzzle flash looks like it might have been rotoscoped in. And, you know, that makes a little bit more sense. But the thing I found funniest about the whole thing is that when we see dust and dirt fly up around the cactus he was shooting at, but it doesn't really look like the cactus itself took much damage. You know, even though a laughing Duke says, you know, can't miss with that. You know, they, so they, they mount back up and they start to ride off as the harmonica soundtrack playing El Dorado starts back up again. And uh, we end our scene with them riding back off screen, Mississippi asking how far it is to El Dorado. To which the Duke replies, you know, we, we will be there around midnight. So apparently he's softening up on the kid and he's allowing him to ride with him into El Dorado after all. So, you know, maybe this Cole Thornton isn't as big and mean as, as I originally thought. But so what happens next? Are all those cacti they keep shooting protected plants? Did Mississippi remember to put the safety back on that gun before hopping up on his horse? What kind of Swedish kinks did the Swede make Mississippi do for that gun? Find out this and more when we return next time with Elder Pado. You know, it's hard to believe we're almost a third of the way through our movie already. But until then, guys, as always, check us out on Facebook and Instagram at support your local podcast. Please take the time to like and follow us there. If you have a free moment, something that is absolutely free, but you can help me out a great deal with, is rating and reviewing us on whatever podcatcher you find us on. But until we meet again, folks, I love you. Please, 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 always and forever, support your local podcast. And when his strength failed him at length, he met a pilgrim shadow. Shadow, said he, where can it be? land called El Dorado. Over the mountains of the moon, down the valley of the shadow. Ride, boldly ride, the shade replied, you search for El Dorado.